Over the Wall podcast coming at you. More craziness going on in sports with boycotting, protesting in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and other sports leagues. We'll talk about the ramifications. And also, what do I see with sports moving forward? We'll touch base on that. And we'll continue our, our NFL predictions and overall coverage with the NFC West and the NFC North. So let's get into it. Before we dive into some football talk, let's talk about the overall landscape of sports right now with, you know, protesting, boycotting going on in multiple sports leagues. I'm going to tell you what I see moving forward, and I'm also going to tell you what I think is great about sports, what was great about it, and I think what still is great about it, and what's still salvageable. What was great about sports is the uniting factor of it. You know, we live here in South Louisiana where, you know, the Saints, LSU reign supreme. And when you're rooting for the Tigers or you're rooting for the Saints, it doesn't matter, you know, what your political background is. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, race, or religious beliefs. It matters that you're rooting for your team. And if you go to the Superdome on a Sunday and you're watching the Saints 75,000 plus, you're going to high five the fan next to you. You're going to have that camaraderie. And it doesn't matter, you know, what this person's political background is or, or ideology of anything in life that maybe you disagree with or that's different than you. You're rooting for the same team. And I think that's what's great. We can all agree that, you know, we're going to root for our team and, and we hope they win and, and we have fun watching them and gathering together. And it was a great thing about this country. It was the one thing that really united us, especially now in this politically tense environment that we're living in. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I know I'm young, but I think it's truly heightened, you know, to an all-time high. And I see that deteriorating. And I see it deteriorating because we're allowing politics and sports. We're allowing the media, and especially social media, to divide us and outrage us. I, I think we're letting, you know, social media dictate, you know, what these sports leagues are doing. And social media isn't reality. Twitter is not reality. We're looking at anecdotes, small, you know, examples and making it large pictures. And we're just creating outrage and making bold statements. And I think it's off-putting to a lot of the fan bases. I think when you look at basketball, they have gone all in on the Democratic Party. And you're essentially isolating the other 50% of the country. And I don't think it's a good move at all. And I think pro athletes do not understand the business of sports. And and it's something I've heard from, from the likes of Jason Whitlock. He's one of my favorite writers. And he said that, you know, it should be mandatory for athletes before they go into the business to at least take a class on the business of sports, of their, of their employer. And I'm going to break it down for you. The NBA, for instance, I think is making a terrible decision diving all the way into politics. And you're going to say, well, no, Black Lives Matter isn't politics and racial injustice isn't politics. Look, don't kid yourself. LeBron James has an agenda. Everything he says with racial injustice and Black Lives Matter, he always ends with, we need to vote. We need to vote. You know, more than a vote. Um, voter suppression. 
do you think he's going to say, hey, vote? I need you to go vote for Donald Trump. No, he's saying go vote, vote Democrat, vote Joe Biden. You know, he's anti-Trump, anti-Republican Party. That That's a terrible business move, you know. And then you could say, well, it shows his, his courage. Great. But you don't have to be that off-putting about it. You can still have beliefs, you know, on the Democratic side, but not be so off-putting and just shoving it down your throat nonstop. And, you know, everybody has bought into, you know, LeBron James and the movement. And I think at this point, if you're not, you're scared to come out and say that you have opposing views. You just won't do that. Like I said, you're off-putting 50% of people in this country. You're not going to gain any type of viewership from coming out with these statements. You're just not. And so moving forward, your ratings will decline. They are declining, period. And I've, like I said before, Michael Jordan had a famous statement that said, Republicans buy sneakers too. He understood the business. The business was at an all-time high with Michael Jordan, and now it is declining rapidly. And it will. And they don't understand the business of sports, right? So a lot of these guys think the money is just going to continue to keep rolling in. That's just not the case. Where does the money come from? Fans in the stands, yes. And obviously, with do you think that every fan that goes to a basketball game is a Democrat, a liberal, very left-wing? No. I mean, Republicans go to, you know, Donald Trump supporters or Donald Trump voters go to basketball games. Of course they do. Why wouldn't they? Do you think that attendance is going to be an all-time high? No. Which will lead me to another discussion, you know, just shortly. And while we're on the topic of NBA, ratings television-wise are going to decline like we talked about. And that's where a lot of the money comes from. That's why the salary cap is huge. Why? Because TV networks see there's a demand for this product, you know, on their networks. The ratings, this is the numbers they're looking at. If the ratings decline, guess what's going to happen? Those large contracts at ESPN, ABC, TNT are signing with the NBA, giving them billions of dollars, are going to come down. They will because ratings are going to come down. So they're not going to pay a premium dollar in negotiations for a product that is declining. They won't. Therefore, the salary cap will decline. Therefore, contracts will decline. So I don't think a lot of these guys understand that. And right now, you know, they feel great on the high horse, but it's going to be a reality check one day. And, you know, they have a CBA coming up. They could be locked out. Are there going to be fans in the stands next year? There are a lot of things to think about on that aspect. So like I talked about with fan attendance, which it leads me to this, a sports bubble, right? We had the housing bubble. It popped. I think, and I've heard this before, that we have a sports bubble where, especially when you look at football, that it became, the ratings became so high, the viewership, everything, NFL, college football, and really sports in general, the ratings was you know, through the roof, television networks were paying top dollar, billions of dollars for the rights to air their, you know, their product. I think that bubble could very well pop. And what I mean by that is it's not going to just, you know, crumble. Sports leagues are going to fold. No, but I think viewership will plateau and decline, right? Not decline massively, but decline. And here's why. 
this pandemic we've gone through has really changed a lot of things for us, right? And then that's why I'm so off put by basketball when you have 40 million unemployed and basically they're saying, hey, guess what? We're not playing tonight because, you know, you don't have the right to watch us play. Okay. You have 40 million unemployed. This has been an absolute hectic year. I've said this before. America isn't, you know, beholden to one thing. America is thriving right now from a technological, you know, aspect. I mean, just think about it. This isn't, if you pulled this in the 1980s, 1990s, hell, even early 2000s, I think, you know, you could really do, uh, you know, some, some not harm to the product, but you can make a, a good movement because where could people go? They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have all these other things, you know, to entertain them, but now they do. Now you have things that can entertain you. You can pivot to something else. If you think that Americans are just going to cry because maybe you know basketball is not playing tonight or baseball is not playing or football is boycotting, no, they won't. They'll just pivot to something else. People aren't going to just wait around forever, especially during this pandemic. We hadn't had sports for four or five months. People have already pivoted. People have families, they have obligations, they have jobs. They don't have time to always sit down and watch a basketball game or a baseball game. They don't. They will pivot. They just will. And so if you think that fans are just going to stick around forever just, you know, to hear your, you know, outpouring of emotions, that's just not the reality. And so they have to be aware of that, that fans will pivot. And I think that's why we're going to have a sports bubble. Because people are now shifting to different things. They're going to watch Netflix. They've realized in these four to five months with no sports, hey, there are other things to do. Family time, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, whatever it may be. Different hobbies maybe you've you know, found out that you've liked within that time span. I think we have a sports bubble. And I think it could very well pop. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and say anybody's ideology politically or socially are wrong, but the more it happens within football, it the bubble's going to pop and you're going to have ratings decline. It just is what it is. And also with fan attendance, think about it. We've put such, you know, a premium on, you know, social distancing, six feet apart, you know, all this nonsense. This year, you won't have fans in the stands. You've basically frightened people to where you can't even think about going to a game. So do you think that in 2021, when they open up the gates again, people are going to flood back in? I'm not so sure because now you've made people realize that there is risk with going to sports games and sporting events, concerts. I think that'll decline as well. I think it's a new day and age. Continuing on with our NFC breakdown, let's break down the North. I'm going to start off with my division winner. It's going to be Minnesota Vikings. And you're probably thinking, well, Green Bay went 13-3 and last year. They have Aaron Rodgers back. They're locked and loaded. But I'm going to tell you why they won't be in just a second. Now, the Minnesota Vikings have a very solid roster. And they have a very solid coach. The coach is really indicative of the roster itself. Um, not over-the-top flashy like their quarterback. Nothing like, you know, huge flash. And same thing with Zimmer. He's not a flashy guy, defensive guy, you know, stoic, but he's a really solid coach. And you know what to expect from their football team. Good roster. When you look at their weapons on offense, Justin Jefferson, you have Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, one of the better running backs in the league. 
Kyle Rudolph is up there as one of the better tight ends in the league and a really good duo at the receiver position with Jefferson and Thielen. So the weapons are there. Offensive line may be a question mark, but you have weapons for Cousins to put up some numbers. And defensive side of the football, you got guys too. You know, Daniil Hunter has been a playmaker. You know, Barr, Kendricks, they are pretty damn good on that side of the football. And so the question will be with them, and it has been this year, and even the teams he, uh, the team he played with before in Washington, is Kirk Cousins. Can he elevate his team? We've seen last year that, you know, they got into the wild card round, they beat the Saints. But then after that, they fell flat on their face against San Francisco. So what is the ceiling for them with him at the quarterback position? And that's the thing. They're not a Super Bowl contender with him at the position. And, you know, a lot of times, I've you know, you hear the Jimmy Garoppolo comparison, Dak Prescott comparison. And for me, you're going to say, well, Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl. Yes, absolutely. But we've seen with Kirk Cousins. We have a lot of evidence. I mean, he was like, oh, for the world in primetime games, that being Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night, or any like three o'clock standalone Fox games. So he doesn't elevate in those primetime situations. And we've seen it at this point. Jimmy Garoppolo has played for one year and we've seen him elevate in certain situations. And he was basically, you know, one bad pass away from winning the Super Bowl last year. Kirk Cousins isn't that. He's a good quarterback. I'd say he's anywhere from 10 to 12. He's solid. If you have him, you have a chance. But at the end of the day, there's a ceiling with a guy like Kirk Cousins. There just is. You're not going to win a Super Bowl. You just won't. You'll be good. And that's why I kind of question the Minnesota Vikings paying him, uh, giving him another contract, essentially, is that, you know, you have a ceiling now with him. It's just the reality. You're not, you're not going to go very far. You might win a division, but that's about it. And are you shooting for the stars or you just want to be some type of relevant? And that's the question for them. Once again, I do think they win a division. I think there's a ceiling because they won't go to the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins because we've seen it already. He just does not elevate in the big moments. Now, let's get to the Green Bay Packers and why I don't think they're going to win this year. When you look at the Green Bay Packers last year, they won a ton of one possession games being, you know, a touchdown or a field goal that usually, you know, ends up weighing itself out from year in and year out, these one possession games, they'll go either way games, you know, it's going to even out. And I expect it to happen this year. Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, is just declining in a sense and not, you know, declining like he was the greatest quarterback in the world. And now he's just complete trash. No, but let me give you some numbers to show you, you know, the decline in the game, although gradual. Okay, so let's break down passer rating. In my opinion, from 2010 to 2014 was his prime. He was absolutely killing it. He was no doubt the best quarterback in the league. Passer rating in 2010 to 2014 from year in and year out. 2010, 101. 2011, 127. 2012, 108. 2013, 104. 2014, 112, which is pretty damn good. Let's look at the passer rating from 2016 to 2019. In 2016, 104. 2017 hurt will not include that. 2018, 97. And last year, 95. There is some decline in the game. Now, is there a decline in arm strength? No. But he has been hurt very, very often the past couple years. Why? He doesn't play within the framework of the offense and he tries to do his own thing, extend the play. And he's not Big Ben and he's not Cam Newton. He is not this, you know, overbearing athlete that can take those blows. He's just not. And that's why the injuries have kept happening. And 
I just, I'm not in love with the personality. And I think you are going to see with them drafting Jordan Love, which I do question, which I think was completely stupid because now you went to the NFC Championship. You're 13 and three. You were almost there. Now you got absolutely crushed by San Fran, but maybe you're, you're a piece away and you go with a backup quarterback. That was completely ridiculous. But what's going to happen is with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who is extremely sensitive to criticism and, you know, he just the personality clash, I believe, is going to happen with him, the organization, and the coach. And him knowing his days are numbered over there, this is not going to end well, in my opinion. I really just don't see that happening. I see it ending sour. And like I said, last year they were winning just one possession games. I didn't find they were this dominant football team at all. I can even give you the quarterbacks that they've beaten. And it's not indicative of the team, but, you know, in today's NFL, the quarterback, the team, that kind of goes hand in hand. Let's go with it. They beat Cousins twice, which I'll give them that. That's, you know, Cousins, good quarterback, Minnesota, good team. So, you know, feather in their cap. Mitch Trubisky, twice. Joe Flacco, Dak Prescott, yeah, I'll give you a little something there. Then I got Derek Carr, Matt Moore, Kyle Allen, Dwayne Haskins, and David Blau, who, had, who was the quarterback for the Lions when Stafford was hurt. So they weren't beating juggernauts. And so they, they, even the Russell Wilson game they won in the playoffs, they won by, I think, a field goal or something like that. And, you know, Russell Wilson really just carrying the Seahawks at that point, not too many weapons on the offensive side of the football. I'm not a fan of the Green Bay Packers. I'm not a fan of Aaron Rodgers. I think the guy is just an ass. <laughs> and, you know, I think he's a phenomenal talent, absolutely. But his days, you know, as the, the lead dog in the NFL are, are declining. Let's say that. And I think his days in, in Green Bay are numbered. And with a guy like this, he's not a true leader like a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady personality wise or, you know, even like a Patrick Mahomes or these guys. He there's some there's some crap to him. Right. I think teammates have come out and said that about him, said, you know, not so great things about him, about his leadership uh, skills. And I think this is going to end sour. He's passive aggressive. And I just think that it's not going to end great this season with Jordan Love in there. And I think the torch will be passed very quickly. And I just don't think Matt LaFleur is a, a dynamic coach as well. Like I said, I know they went 13-3 and three last year. I get it. But I'm just not sold on him as a head football coach. But I do think they'll make a, sh- a run of the playoffs, and especially with expanded playoffs this year. They might even get in. So I think they're a, they're probably a 10-6, a, a and six, maybe 9-7 and seven football team. Not bad, but they're not going to win his division this year. Then I have Chicago Bears. Look, the Chicago Bears, here's the issue. Chicago Bears have a quarterback issue. And, I mean, this could be the issue with a lot of teams, but it's very much so for the Chicago Bears. Mitch Trubisky was a terrible draft pick. You passed up on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson to pick him. I believe at number two, number three overall, I forgot the exact pick, but they passed up on those two guys, which would have been way better fits in Matt Nagy's offense. Mitch Trubisky is not the guy. We know that. They're going to masquerade and try to play him early just to make themselves feel better. He is not the guy. He's not very good. Now, they signed Nick Foles, and everybody's going to say, well, they got Nick Foles on the bench. Roll with him. He won a Super Bowl. He's going to win games for you. He is an interesting case study. I believe Nick Foles is one of these guys that will hang his hat you know, for another couple contracts as the guy who won a Super Bowl for Philly. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But is he really that? Sure, he played a, a really good stretch. But if you remember that season when he played in Philadelphia, he was absolute dog hurl until the last two games of the season, that being the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl, which he played really, really well. And even the year after that, when Wentz got hurt, he had a couple game stretch where he was pretty good, not great, but good. 
And so it makes you believe that he's this, you know, this top 15 guy, which he's not. We showed it in Jacksonville. He got hurt early. And you say, well, you know, they knew they were losing. They wanted to play Gardner Minshew to see what they had. Young quarterback, bullshit. If they thought he was that good, he would have been playing and still be in Jacksonville. Okay. There is no solution to the quarterback position. And I don't believe Foles is the solution. I think that the offense is aging in certain spots. They lost Kyle Long. Uh, son of Howie Long, brother Chris Long, who was an all-pro guard. They lost him this offseason. So the, off, the offense is declining. Now, the defense is pretty good. You got Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Jackson. You got some guys who can make some plays. But ultimately, they can only carry you so much. The, the quarterback, the offense has to do something to help out, and they're not going to. I like Matt Nagy as a head coach. But once again, you can only do so much offensively. And and let's not you know kid ourselves. Defense doesn't win championships anymore. Patrick Holmes won the, won the Super Bowl last year. Their defense was okay. You need a good offense to win and win big, and they just don't have it, and that's going to be the story of the, the Chicago Bears. Then let's go to the Detroit Lions. Their one issue, you know what their issue is? Head coach. Patricia, former Belichick guy, is trying to be like Belichick. He's trying to be the asshole, dickhead guy, but that's not going to work, and players sense that early. Um, so – this is, and once again, I think I, I, I referenced it with Atlanta Falcons. It, he's a lame duck guy. And when you hit that midpoint of the year where the team is, you know, three and five, four and four, and they know he's going to get canned, they're going to give up on the season because they know their coach is out. I think there's even issues with Stafford at quarterback. Stafford's another guy who's so interesting. Like he, he's talent-wise, he's pretty good. He was the first overall pick. What has he really won? He's made it to two wild card rounds, and they've lost twice. It's a garbage franchise, and it's tough to overcome, no doubt about it. But do they make a move soon? Is this the last year with him in Detroit? Organizationally, I would try. I would think about moving on. You're paying him big bucks, and you're just not getting the return on investment with with Stafford. He'll put some numbers up for you, but they're very hollow. Once again, it's just a it's a crappy organization. I'd say Detroit, Cleveland, Jacksonville, just just crappy organizations that it's tough to overcome. And maybe maybe Stafford is better suited to go play elsewhere, at least in my opinion. Defensive side of the football, they got some players. I mean, they they have some really good players on the defensive side of the football. But once again, you're seeing, you know, Patricia's, I guess, last Hail Mary. I mean, he has like six former Patriots on on the on the defense. He's trying everything he can. This ultimately is not going to work out. Why? I think Stafford just isn't as dynamic maybe as he was five, six years ago. And even then, what's that saying? And ultimately, it's a head coach quarterback league, right? And I don't think their coach is very good. I think in that division, he's of the four teams, he's the fourth best coach. That's all you need to know. You can't overcome bad coaching. You just can't. And so that would be the story of the Detroit Lions. So ultimately, with the NFC North, man, I like the Vikings because there are no big flaws. Well, you could say Kirk Cousins, nah, it's a flaw to a certain extent for you getting to the Super Bowl, but winning a division and winning football games, no. All the other teams, in my opinion, have flaws. I think the flaw with the Green Bay Packers will be the relationship with Rodgers and the floor and the organization. I think that'll be a flaw. You don't draft a quarterback in the first round or trade up being that to just sit him on the bench for three years. That's horseshit. They're lying to you. That's not going to happen. And then the other two teams have major flaws as well. Chicago, quarterback. Then you have Detroit, head coach, maybe even quarterback. So that's kind of how I see it shaking out. Here we go. NFC West breakdown. We'll start top to bottom. Let's start off with San Francisco 49ers. Now, 
I think they win the division. I also worry about the Super Bowl hangover. I always believe the team that goes to the Super Bowl, loses just like they did in heartbreaking fashion, is going to have a tough time getting back. But I still like their roster. I Most importantly for me, I love their head coach. To me, it's head coach and quarterback. That's what's really going to be the telltale sign for all these teams. Obviously, other, other things in your roster play in the part, which plays a huge part with San Francisco. I think they have a great roster. I think they have a really good defense. I think they have a really good defensive coordinator. I think they have a lot of things to like about them organizationally. And I'm going to give you some stats with Kyle Shanahan and with Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy Garoppolo, since the Super Bowl, has been much maligned. Even since that, that NFC Championship game went only through eight times, which you got crapped on for that, but they were running the ball just you know at will against the Green Bay Packers. Let me give you some stats. I think Kyle Shanahan's a great coach, and he's going to be one of the best coaches in the league moving forward, period. Kyle Shanahan, his record in San Francisco has been 25-25. and 25. He's a 500 coach, okay? So you're thinking, well, why are you saying that he's one of the best coaches in the league? That doesn't make any sense. Because what did I say? Head coach, quarterback. You have to have the quarterback to go along with a great head coach. I mean, what was Bill Belichick before Brady, right? Which is interesting. With Jimmy Garoppolo as his quarterback in San Francisco, because we crap on Garoppolo, right? He's, he's well, I don't know. He's not this. He's not that. He is 23-5 and five in San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan together. Without Jimmy Garoppolo, the man's 2-20. and 20. So what does that tell you? And it's funny because for years now, and finally Tom has left, but the, the debate has always been Belichick or Brady. Which one are you taking? Which one are you going to go with? And we've always debated it, right? But what was Belichick before Brady? He was fired with the Browns, and he wasn't doing too hot with the Patriots before you know Bledsoe got hurt and Brady stepped in. So I believe we have the same situation with Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is not flashy, right? He's not a, a super athlete, but I think he's good enough. Main thing is... The more reps, the more time he has in the field, because remember, this is a guy who backed up Tom Brady. He went to San Francisco. He played five games after the trade, but then he gets hurt. He misses a full season, and then last year was his first full one. And yeah, down the stretch in the fourth quarter of Super Bowl, he wasn't that hot. But I still like him as a quarterback, and I like the pairing, right? And the coach-quarterback pairing, as we've seen in New Orleans, goes hand-in-hand, period. And you're thinking, yeah, but what if the coach gets fired? Look, Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach. His tenure in San Francisco is going to last as long as he wants. And if they stick together, I think they're going to have a really good offensive production. I do. And so that stat to me is eye-popping. I mean, the man is 2-20 and 20 without Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo can play, right? And I love what they've done with their roster. They have one of the best tight ends in the league in George Kittle. He just got signed. At running back, it doesn't really matter what they do. I mean, Raheem Mostert. You know, McKinnon, anybody they throw in there is going to produce. So the offense, the, the way the system works, the zone run game, they're very effective. I think receiver could be an issue for them. Debo Samuel's out for a significant amount of time with a foot injury. They have first-round pick from Arizona State, Brandon Ayuk. How you know effective can he be? Jalen Hurd is out again. He didn't play at all last year. Remember, he was a running back at Tennessee, transferred to Baylor as a receiver and then was a draft pick for the San Francisco people are high on, but hasn't played yet. So that's going to be a question mark you're going to see right there is that receiver position 
for San Francisco, but uh, Kyle Shanahan is such a you know a phenomenal coach. He'll he'll make do with that. Defense. They traded DeForest Bugner, got a pick, a first round pick from the Colts, but ended up drafting the defensive lineman from South Carolina, Javon Kinlaw. So they kind of fill that gap. They have Eric Armstead still, Solomon Thomas, and Nick Bosa, who's one of the best defenders in the league. I mean, he is amazing. Him and his brother Joey Bosa. So you got some guys who can play. And like I said, they're just a rock-solid team. They're not going to be overly flashy, but they have a really good quarterback. They have a really good head coach. And so, you know, moving forward, I like them, you know, to win this division. Then the runner-up, I'll have Seattle. Seattle is becoming stale to me. I think Pete Carroll is becoming stale to me. Russell Wilson is reaching his peak. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's right up there with Mahomes, right? It's I think it's Mahomes, then Russell Wilson. He is an absolute stud. And he's making chicken salad, chicken shit. They don't have a lot to work with. You know, Metcalf, um, Lockett, good receivers, not great. Good running backs, not great. And Chris Carson, they had a big whiff on their first-round pick, Rashad Penny, who's hurt and won't play this year. Tied in, there's no nobody to really speak of. So not a ton of weapons to work with, but he always makes do. Offensive line isn't very good. They haven't helped him out a lot, and he still makes it happen. You know, they won a playoff game last year and ended up losing to Green Bay. But uh, the question I have is, you know, is it time for Pete Carroll to end his tenure in Seattle? I'm just going to be honest with you. The downfall of Russell Wilson's career is going to be this is that he's too much of a yes man and a nice guy. You have to have some type of controversy to you or swagger or just, you know, uh, what happens is I think it's very much a a passive-aggressive attitude he has with his teammates where he just always wants to say the right thing. And sometimes you got to step up and say what's not popular, right? I think that's what happened with Andrew Luck in Indianapolis is – incompetence from up top by the GM ownership. And he just never wanted to say anything. He always wanted to take the blame for, for something and always wanted to be politically correct. And sometimes you just can't. Tom Brady's not. You might think Drew Brees is, but Drew Brees, will, you know, he'll say something when it needs to be said. And that's how you win in professional sports. And collegiate levels may be a little different. It's more of a coaching sport. But you have to step up. And Russell Wilson, I don't believe, is willing to do that. I don't believe he's willing to go to his GM or his coach and take shots and fire back. And if he's not, he'll never win another Super Bowl. He just won't. I mean, as a Saints fan, I watched them play the Saints. And sometimes, yeah, teams have bad games. The Saints had a backup quarterback and absolutely crushed Seattle in Seattle, which is a place that everybody said was, was just a, you know, a vaunted place to play and destroyed him with a backup quarterback. Seattle isn't the team that you think they are. But Russell Wilson is carrying them. The GM, Pete Carroll, personnel has been awful. I mean, the draft picks have been garbage, right? And everybody keeps giving them a pass. I think they come out second this year in the division. I think Russell Wilson has a really good year, elevates them to, you know, a wild card spot. But it is time to get that regime out of there. Or the man won't win another Super Bowl. And he won't elevate. He'll just be right where he's at. You know, finish runner-up in the division, maybe win a playoff game here or there. But that is all that will ever happen because the roster isn't good enough. And you see how that works with the Saints. Look at the Saints, I'd say, before 17 when they went on this little run. 
I mean, it was just incompetence from up top with bad free agent signings, bad draft picks, and you saw what happened. It was mediocre. It was 500. Drew Brees, as good as he is, couldn't overcome that. You wasted three to four years of Drew Brees at peak level because of incompetence. And they changed it around. They got better. They hired John Ireland, and just the draft picks got better. The free agent signings got better. And you see how it played out. You get three straight years of winning the division. And even this year, the roster's still really damn good and, you know, has a shot to compete for a Super Bowl. And that's the issue with Seattle. They don't have a good GM right now, and they're incompetent in the free agent pool and the draft process, and it's going to hurt them. And that's why I think they don't win this division. Now let's go to the other teams in this division. The third place team, I think, will be the L.A. Rams. The L.A. Rams have just become sour to me. I don't think they have the luster they used to have. I don't know if Sean McVay has the luster he used to have. If you can remember two years ago when they went to the Super Bowl, he was the hottest coach out there. Everybody wanted a new, you know, young guy in his 30s, offensive coach. And, you know, last year they didn't make the playoffs. There's not much vibes going on right now about L.A. And, you know, Jared Goff has kind of been crapped on, even though I think he's still pretty damn good. So, you know, my point with that being is, I wouldn't sleep on those two, you know, McVay and Goff. I think they're going to be successful offensively. The issue is I don't think they have the weapons to produce the numbers they did previously. And they lose a guy like Brandon Cooks. And you're thinking, well, he's not a superstar. You know, he's not a Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins or one of these guys. Yes, but he stretches the field. And it's a game changer. And they lost him to Houston. And then – I just don't think they're dynamic at the running back position when they lose Todd Gurley. When Todd Gurley was at his peak, that offense was humming. They have Malcolm Brown, average running back. They have an average tight end. The O-line's getting older. The offense is losing its luster. They don't have the playmakers, you know, to fill the gap like they did before. And defensively, sure, they have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. But besides that, it's okay. It's average. And that's what I see with them. They're 8-8 and football team. And I think it all stems from this, you know, like we talked about Seattle. It's just almost, you know, laziness where we just we're, we're counting on free agency to help us. Let's just, you know, make these big, flashy free agent signings, spend a lot of money. I don't think at the end of the day that that helps. You have to be great in the draft. You've got to make sneaky free agent moves that pay off. You can't just sign these huge contracts. They don't always pay dividends. And that's what's happening with the Rams. You know, they haven't had a ton of draft picks because, once again, they've traded, they've signed, and they've just lost draft picks. And so they hadn't had anything to, you know, help out with that. You need young talent. Football is a young game. It's not a veteran game. And that's their issue right now. So moving forward, like I said, 8-8 eight eight football team, nothing great. I think people crap on Goff a little too much. I still think he's pretty damn good. Not a great athlete. I'll give you that in a game that's kind of moving towards that way. But like I said with Garoppolo and Shanahan, it's a coach and a quarterback pairing, and I think they're a really good pairing together. I think he's a great thrower of the football. But as of right now, in their young career, this is not the year for them. Then finally, we move to Arizona. Here's the deal with Arizona. You have a team every year that people believe is going to be, you know, this hot, flashy team last year was the Cleveland Browns. Second-year quarterback in Baker Mayfield. We have a second-year quarterback this year in Kyler Murray. Won a few games late. People get excited. But 
I think this division at the top is too tough. I think this division has great coaches when you look at Pete Carroll, who's won a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan has been to a Super Bowl, and Sean McVay has been to a Super Bowl. And then you have Cliff Kingsbury. He's a young coach. I'm sure he's a great offensive mind. The man got fired at his alma mater. Now you're thinking, well, you know, if he's coaching at a big-time school, like in LSU and Alabama, pressure's high. Maybe if you only win nine games, they can, you know. He was coaching at Texas Tech. The, you know, the expectations are very high. And the man, was he was barely making it to bowl games. So do you really think he can overcome that? He can he can beat Kyle Shanahan. He can beat Pete Carroll and McVay. He can outduel them. I just don't believe that. And you have to have a really good head coach to win, period. That's just the reality. If you don't, if you're incompetent at that position, you can't overcome it. Look at Cleveland last year. They couldn't overcome Freddie Kitchens. You just can't. Now, do I think Kyler Murray is talented? Absolutely. Extremely talented. I like him a lot. But let's see how he does in the second year. His size does throw you for a curveball. I mean, he's 5'9". He looks tiny back there. Although I think, he, like I said, super talented. He, I mean, he can run a 4-3. He can maneuver in the pocket, make plays. He's very exciting to watch. I think they have weapons on the offensive side of the ball. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They still have Larry Fitzgerald. Um, Christian Kirk, who I think is a really good slot receiver. Kenyon Drake at running back. So they have some weapons. I don't think their O-line is great. But they got weapons to work with. So I think they'll put up numbers offensively. Defensively will be the issue. When you have a coach who doesn't really promote defense, it's just the offensive side of the ball. I don't think that's going to play out well. I don't think Vance Joseph is a great defensive coordinator. And so I think that's going to be their big issue. But once again, I see we see this every year. And Cleveland did it last year where people get high on them, you know, because of the flashy quarterback, the flashy coach. Maybe the flashy offseason signing, Odell Beckham last year, DeAndre Hopkins this year for Arizona, and they're expecting these big things. It's not going to happen. This is going to be a 4-12, a, a 5-11 team, and Cliff Kingsbury the following year will be fighting for his job, which he'll be fired you know, the next year. That's just the reality. He's not, he's not a, a, an amazing football coach. Okay, Let's just be realistic. I think Murray's going to be really good. He's going to put up some numbers. If you have a fantasy football team, draft him because they're going to be trailing a lot, and he is going to be throwing, running, scoring touchdowns, and putting on a show. But ultimately, that's not going to lead to Ws. So the way I see the division playing out, I like San Francisco again. They have you know, a great roster, a great head coach, a really good quarterback. Not elite, but a really good quarterback. I think he's a little better than a Kirk Cousins, a Dak Prescott, a Jared Goff, and the guys in that group. I really do. And I think Russell Wilson is going to make chicken salad, chicken shit, and get them to nine, ten wins, but that'll be all. I don't think he's, you know, working with a great roster. I don't. And I think ultimately at the end of the year, Seattle is going to have to make a decision on Pete Carroll and John Schneider and say, do we want to, you know, keep this going forward? And personally, I think this will be Pete, Pete Carroll's last year as a head coach of the Seahawks. And then your other two teams, like I said, you're looking at Rams, Eight and eight, I think they're just blah. You know, they're just 500. They're okay. Their coach will be good enough to get them to that point. And then Arizona, their coach isn't good enough to get them to that point. He's just not, and I think that'll be their downfall.